Hello, and welcome to Workle's Happiness Podcast. I'm Mark Price, the founder of Workle, a platform designed to help everybody get happier at work. I used to be the boss of Waitrose and the deputy chair of the John Lewis Partnership, and it's there that I began my interest in how we work and how being happier at work can not only transform an individual's life, but transform an organisation. On this podcast, I find out how happy people really are at work and discuss what steps they take to get happier. So I'm delighted on this edition of the Work All Happiness podcast to be joined by Tina Wilson. Now, Tina is a digital entrepreneur, a businesswoman and a dating expert. She's the founder and CEO of Wingman, the world's fastest growing matchmaking app, which lets your friends choose your dates and make the introductions, which sounds a bit dangerous to me, but we'll find out all about that. Now, the business has been fantastically successful. As I said, it's um, growing rapidly. It's done incredibly well over the last year through COVID. Tina has set up offices in uh, Hollywood, uh, in New York, and in London. And I'm delighted to be able to talk to her about the inspiration behind her dating app and what's made it so successful. Tina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a real pleasure. And I think what we'd like to do is just start by understanding whether when you were at school, you ever thought that you would be a successful digital entrepreneur. Never, never. I think for me at school, I was definitely into the creative side of, of all my subjects. And I wanted to do something in media or journalism or something like that. But honestly, I would never have expected this. It's not like I chose that as my occupation. Um, so I think for me, it was when I look back, I'm like, what would I have ended up as? I don't know. I, I wouldn't even, when I began Wingman, I had a Blackberry and didn't even know much about an iPhone or technology. I just knew I had an idea. And so for me, I feel like it's probably a bit of a different journey than some people who have that idea at a very young age and run with it. For me, it was definitely years to kind of get to the point where I had that light bulb moment of thinking, oh, I want to do that, right? It didn't just spring up. And then when it when it happened, I couldn't ignore it. So for me, I definitely didn't have that traditional trajectory. And, and tell us a little about yourself at school. Were you, were you a sport? Did you like sports? Were you a team player? What were you like? I love, I was a chatterbox, so I was always being told off for chatting in class. Um, I was very social. I was really into sports, team stuff. Um, I think I was kind of one of those in between. I wasn't too nerdy. I wasn't too sporty. I didn't really have a group. I had lots of different types of friends. And I was definitely a bit more of a nervous person than I kind of grew into. I was definitely much more unsure of myself um, and not as as confident as I kind of grew to be. I would always second guess stuff. I was, yeah, my mum used to call me a nervous neris um, and a bit of afraid of my own shadow. So I think as I look back on me then, to look at me now, flying around the world, walking into meetings, not even, you know, blinking an eye, it is just literally like night and day. And, and when you were at school, was there anything that gave away the fact you were entrepreneur? Did you have jobs? Did you do jobs when you were at school? I 
my mum and dad, so I was obsessed with getting a wage packet. So even as a, I think I was like 11 or 12, I used to ask my parents, can me and my friend go around the streets and ask people if we could do odd jobs for them and stuff. Um, and I worked in a pub, I worked in a kitchen somewhere. I just kind of liked that idea of being useful and getting stuff done. Like it certainly wasn't, you know, I wasn't working in the pub because I wanted to be a publican. It was just because it was available. I wanted to kind of start beginning, you know, that end of the day where you feel a sense of accomplishment. And so for me, I've always been a doer. Right. So whatever job I would do, whether I'm cleaning or whether I would be writing a report, I'm extremely fastidious about anything that I kind of take on. And so I think my perfectionistic traits have hampered me in, in you know, as, as they can sometimes do. Um, but as time's gone on, learning to kind of accept them and kind of go for it has been has been helpful. And, and what about your parents? I mean, it sounds like you had a great work ethic. Were your parents entrepreneurial? Did they? Mother's Irish. So mother was a nurse. So the Irish, very get on with it, right? Absolutely not much sympathy for anything. Just kind of get on with it. So definitely that very strict work ethic. My dad, I mean, looking back, I would probably say he was an Arthur Daly type. And lots of your younger listeners probably don't know who Arthur Daly was, but it's someone who is involved in lots of different things. He would start a gardening company, a building company. Um, so entrepreneurial in a sense, um, but I don't think that word existed then. So for me, it was whatever came a, 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 along, I would see so many different things started and sold or bought. And so I guess that, that kind of stuck somewhere with me. And, and so when you left school, what did you do? So I went to college, did A-levels, and then I didn't want, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I did art, I did media. I didn't know exactly then what role I would go into. So I didn't want to go to university because I would have just been going for, for a reason that I wasn't sure, you know, to get taking part in something. So I got a job. Again, I just loved, I loved the idea of getting on the train and going to work. So I started working as a PA for um, an accountancy company called KPMG. And I stayed there a couple of years. I really liked it, the organization of their team. Not that accountancy was my thing in any shape or form, but I think again, having that kind of work ethic of making a difference and being organized. And it kind of set me up in a sense, you see that kind of corporate world um, and probably knew that that wouldn't be something that I would always stick in, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. And so what did you do then? KPMG for two years, got to KP work in central London, big office life. What was Yeah, next? big office life. Do you know what? I had a crazy car accident um, over 10 years ago now. So I had a car accident that caused me to be completely out of it for almost five or six years. So a lorry had jackknifed on the motorway. I ended under it, I ended up under it and I had broke my arms, my legs. I was in hospital for months, intensive care, like really not, not pleasant. Um, and so from that point, I was kind of stopped in my tracks of what I thought was going to happen. You know, like my next career, I was thinking, oh, I'm gonna leave K KPMG and go to work in a magazine, right? And I'm gonna start doing work as a PA there, but be in an environment that I find more fun. Um, and then it was just 
thought, well, that's not going to happen, right? To kind of like have that slap of change. And so for the next six years, it was really like a bit of a recovery for me in, I had tons of operations, had a lot of plastic surgery um, and everybody else's lives were kind of going in a different way than mine. And I was a bit stuck. So I think for me, it was, I definitely went through a bit of a period of huge highs and lows, but also learning more about what you value as a person, um, you know, not wanting to be caught up in a rat race or something like that, you know, really just focusing on stuff that I really liked. Um, and when I eventually got back to work, I was even more of a nervous nurse then with my PTSD diagnosis, but I kind of got back into that. And that's when I started in interior design and I studied um, that. And yeah, it was kind of like a natural fit for me. Because as you said, you were arty and creative and you enjoyed that at school. Yeah, yeah. And all of my, my mum still has my paintings now. Literally, she'll get them out if you ask her from the loft. But it's that thing that I was, I, I knew I loved it, but I didn't know what I loved about it. But being in interior design, even working in a residential space or a commercial space, being able to create something that you live in and you feel like you're creating an atmosphere, that was, yeah, that was obviously what my tick was when I was at school. And that's so different to KPMG. So, I mean, it's, it's worlds apart. I know. And I, do you know what? I think for me, if an opportunity came up, I just would take it. So it wouldn't be that I would be, I wasn't the type of person or my family weren't the type to kind of plan five years in advance or three years in advance. And, and so for me, the opportunity had, had come up because someone said, oh, you know, I think you'd be good at this. And I said, oh, I'll give it a go then and off I went thinking do you know what I can I can stay a week and if I hate it I'll just leave um, and I liked all the people there and so so I stayed but yeah to go from that to interior design it's not it's not a normal curve right so it's almost that but I, I honestly think if depending on what type of person you are I know friends who knew they wanted to be a lawyer from when they were at school I knew people who knew they wanted to be a doctor I never had that. And so I think you sometimes have to try out stuff to find out if you like it or you don't like it. And that was the case with me. And, and what did you learn from that job? They were very strict, right? So that very, um, was very on time. Everything had to be perfect. When you're working in accountancy, there was no room for mistakes or an airy fairy. Oh, sorry, it's a mistake. You know, you could literally cost people millions of dollars and, and stuff like that. So for me, it was that importance of any task, even if you feel like you're the secretary and you're kind of at the bottom of the chain typing up those reports, everyone has a role to play in creating, getting something done. Um, and so for me, I think the work ethic of if it was busy, they were like, can you work through the night? Um, we'll get your taxi home in the morning. And now I look back and I think, Oh, and I just feel like, yeah, of course, you know, like happy to, to jump in. And so for me, I think I kind of raised through the ranks pretty quick while the time I was there because they could see I was a hard worker. But it got to that point when it was just accountancy. You know, it wasn't really very creative enough for me. And then in design? So I had studied art. I'd done A-level. I'd done media. I'd done... Um, a ton of other courses as well that were kind of complementary to it. And so I set about 
getting involved in um, a company that I knew had, I went in as a project manager. Right? So from a PA to kind of the project management of it, and I could run that project. So I wasn't as involved with the design at that point, but it was just that organization of dealing with the designers, dealing with the builders, dealing with the budget people. And so for a couple of years, I was in that role, but it was within that role that I looked at the designers and was like, oh, I want to be doing their job, right? So for me, it was like to retrain a bit, but I also think that in-person learning, I don't know if I hadn't done the project management, would I ever have kind of connected the dots and ended up in interior design? I don't know. And what did you learn from that? Again, I think even though KPMG was a completely different experience, the mantra is the same, right? Is that no matter what kind of organization you're in, every cog and wheel has a position and they all need to work in order to execute it to get it done well. So even if the design was beautiful, if the plumber was rubbish or was a bit lazy, it's wrecked. So for me, really managing the project and seeing the importance of that, I think being in that design industry, it was very similar to an accountancy company, just in the sense of you have to do your part. Everybody listening to this now will be thinking, so went to work for a large accountancy firm, did well and enjoyed it, then went to be a project manager at a design, uh, interior design company, enjoyed it, then became a designer and loved it, none of which are anywhere close to founding a tech business and, and wingmen. So tell us, first of all, where the idea for Wingman, the, the dating app that you launched over a decade ago now, came from? Where did you have the idea? What prompted you to do it? So I was working in interior design in New York at the time. So I had, I was, I was living in New York. I was retraining, doing some more design stuff. It was color psychology and there was a different course I was on. And so I was, I was living there for kind of three months and I became single. So after a 10 year relationship of being with someone, we broke up and I was kind of thrown into that online dating space. And New York is fast anyway, but the dating space was like so accelerated, impatient, and I hated it. Um, most of my girlfriends were in relationships. So it wasn't like I had a ton of single girls to be going out to the bar scene with. And I just realized everyone had moved online. And so for me, I was kind of encouraged to get online by my girlfriends who wrote my profile. Um, they wrote my profile. They would come around on a Sunday morning with their coffee, vicariously living through my potential matches like a load of witches and cackling. And, you know, it became like a fun activity for us. And so it was with that. I did get back out into the dating scene. It was much more, it was much easier with their help. And when I was in New York, I remember feeling like super isolated thinking something like this should exist. I'm going to look for something that, you know, what my friends did for me and there wasn't anything. And so I was talking to different people who were also dating and they said, oh yeah, it sucks. And everyone I spoke to had the same things to say. And so I, I remember sitting with a girlfriend saying, do you know what, someone should do it. Someone should create an app that mimics real life, that lets your friends and family take all the hard slog and just allow you to kind of have a bit of fun. And 
get rid of all the catfish and all these awful like you know hookupy cultures and groin shots that happen and I don't even know I think I was going to say the penny dropped then so the idea was there I started researching the market thinking just intrigued like it's that seed that was planted for me and I couldn't just I went back to to London I was working on a big project for interior design and I thought oh just not liking it as much anymore what about this idea someone should do it what if somebody else does it and you know I could have said that could have been me and I'd worked with a lot of different types of people and one guy had said I know this company um, it's an accelerator they could work with you to flush out your idea would you be interested in um, in an introduction so I did go and work with them for a couple of weeks and I didn't like their ideas it was very you know they wanted to create it in a very different way than what I saw it as but what I did learn was that two weeks in or a month in however long it was that I was with these guys I was even more adamant that I'm doing this right like you don't know what you're talking about you don't use dating apps you are one of those horrible people that's on a dating app. Like girls want to feel safe. And so for me, seeing that it was such a male dominated area in that 95% of dating sites have been created by men, um, it gave me a bit of an insight thinking, well, you know, I'll just start doing a business plan. I never really looked ahead and thought, I'm going to launch this app and I'm going to be the CEO of it. And I'm going to, that never occurred to me. I kind of just felt, like I'll give it a go. As I did at KPMG, if I don't like it, I can leave after a week. And so for me, it was that tearing the band off, band-aid off and saying to my clients in, in London, look, I'm not going to be doing this anymore. I'll finish off this job, but I am heading back to New York to work on, on Wingman. And all my friends were thinking I was absolutely bonkers. They're just like, you've got a really comfortable, nice life here got a sweet job you've got this why would you go and and do it and I said you know what I've always been very risk averse I've always been quite nervous about stuff um but I just thought when you know you know like I just thought no I'm going to do it and I'm not going to live with a regret of not giving it a go and I'm not going to make all these promises to people and predict tell everyone what I'm going to do my thing was just step by step it was I'm going to do a business plan I'm going to meet with some developers. I'm going to see that. So for me, it was very, again, like managing a project, right? Getting your research, interacting with experts, finding out as much as I possibly could. But ultimately, what it turned into was that it is mine. And, you know, I've raised a ton of money on it. I did, I did bootstrap it myself at first. Um, I never told really that many people what I was doing. So it wasn't that I was saying, I'm going to create a dating app and it's going to change the way people date. I was just saying, I've got a bit of an idea and I'm going to see how that goes. Whereas in America, people are, and the UK as well, you know, there's this kind of Instagrammy culture where everybody's talking about how good they are and what they're going to do. And, and my, one of my mantras is always actions speak louder than words. Right. So I had nothing to prove to anybody else but myself that I could kind of get a project like this done. Um, and so with that, there wasn't really much of a, oh, what if I fail? Because everyone thought I was a bit mad anyway. And I was like, well, worst case scenario, I'll just go back to interior design. 
And then the more I got into it, the more kind of I became cemented and a bit more addicted to it. And now I'm like, yeah, here I am, the a female entrepreneur in the tech world. So I mean, let let's um, let's explore a bit from from the beginning how you do this. So um, you've had an idea. Yeah. Uh, you think there's a gap in the market and that app sites, uh, dating app sites, are built by men and feel a bit masculine. You feel that there could be a space for for women uh, to use these sites and to feel more secure. So, so in a very practical term, just say how you thought your site would be different to all the others. So traditional online dating is a single person creating their profile, approaching another single person who has created their profile. Within that and the dating experiences I had, most people lie, right? So even before you waste time messaging someone or going to meet them, you don't even know who this person is. The version that they give you is their Instagram filtered personality and probably not very true. And for me, it was just a waste of time. So awkward when you turn up and you meet someone, you're like, oh God, they're not that at all. You know, and so again, it's a waste of time. And what happens with those bad experiences is that you get fatigue from it. And then in the end, you don't date online because you're like, I'm sick of it. I've had all these bad experiences. So I wanted my friends to be able to write my profile without me having to sell myself and sound self-promotional or narcissistic, right? So my friends were able to say, were able to say, she's an absolute lunatic. She's not for the faint hearted. She's got an Irish mother, you know, family jumpers, whatever they wrote about me, anyone that came by and saw my profile it was, yes, some people would have been put off by some of that, but it also filtered out the people that I wouldn't have been a match with. So just automatically, I would have filtered out the people that wouldn't have been good. So that was the first thing. I also felt like there was a huge gap in the market for people who just wouldn't use online dating. I had friends who were plastic surgeons, who were, um, you know, a model, a completely varied group my you know one of my aunts got divorced they just would never use online dating and I thought I thought it was a shame right these people are excellent and with everyone being online you just don't get the opportunity to meet in real life anymore so whilst they would not have been happy to download the app themselves had I created their profile gave them a little laugh as they came onto the app and said look you know I've got this for you how would that feel and so we, we figured out that when you look at online dating, only 50% of people will actually use it. Out of that 50%, only 40% are successful, right? So when you start looking at those numbers, not doing crazy spreadsheets and reading, you know, these huge pages of reports that go out with the industry, but the common sense factor of is, well, if I know four people who are great and they would never use online dating, there have to be others, right? So that's when I went out and invited people for grilled cheese and for focus groups and spoke to as many people as I could. And everyone said, oh no, it makes total sense. I totally use that for my friend. Um, but what's the difference between that and somebody just faking your profile, like, you know, taking Tinder and then just having a friend write it for you as a fake profile. And my point was, I wanted to go that step further in saying, my friend is great. Here she is. Do you like her? To cut out that middleman of, 
asking my friend what she thinks and then asking him and then times moved on that person could have been perfect for you and you've missed them right because somebody else has they've met someone else and so for me it was about being efficient with time efficient with people's behaviors and seeing them get the best result so i didn't want them to see the nose when you look at online dating there are people online dating that don't even use it to date anymore. They use it as an ego boost, right? They swipe on someone to see if someone liked them back. That's a very real thing. People don't start talking. They just want to see, oh, do they like me? Oh, it's like an ego, like getting a look or a, a drink sent over, um, you know, and it's flattering. But really, it's not, if you've got a set amount of time to get something done, it's just a waste of time. And so for me, I just thought there had to be a much more kind of project management led way to getting to getting somebody to meet someone great. So you've had this idea. You're very clear there's nothing else in the market. Yeah. Your friends have all told you that while you're a bit barking, leaving the job you've got, actually you've got a good idea. Your drinks and cheese with people has reconfirmed your thought. Um, but then... How do you go and build it? You said that you talked to an incubator. You've said that you bootstrapped it yourself. But how did you find somebody to start to build a website? How did you finance that? Just how did you make it start? Again, I had, I read, you know, I read all the books, all the lean startups. I looked at, you know, what it takes to get your idea off the ground. And I didn't want to pitch an idea to someone because in my mind, I wasn't able to articulate what it would be. I just wanted someone to know how it would feel. And so for me, it was about putting it in their hand and letting them see what it was without having to sell them on this idea of, no, oh, this vision and stuff, because it's all just, it's all just nonsense, right? Those sales, everyone has a great idea. And when you're passionate about it, everyone thinks it's the best thing do you still think it's the best thing in six months or have you moved on to something else like a butterfly? And so for me, it was about putting my money where my mouth is and saying, I have savings. I could absolutely go and pitch it to someone and see if they wanted to do it with me. But why don't I just start by getting the framework done of what I would like it to feel like for me? I know I'm the end user. I want to see what it looks like. I'm gonna hand draw everything. I'm going to put it out onto a huge, you know, things of papers and, and walls of, of post-its. I'm going to see how that feels to walk through. And there are different companies that you can use yourself, which like Marvel, it's like an app simulator. So you don't actually have to code anything. You can create designs and you can put it into an app that will kind of fake it to see how it feels. You could never use it to anybody else, but it's almost just a, it gives you an insight. And that took such a long time, right? Then I would get to, to the point where I'm like, this looks great. And then I would think, oh, in New York, there's tons of development companies. I'm, like, I'm gonna go and speak to 10 and see what they say. And all of them said, oh, this won't work, right? It's too complex. There's too many angles. The reason something like Tinder works well is because it's one person looking for another person. You want to start incorporating all these other people. You can't do it. I'm like, I know it's not traditional, but this is how real life works. We don't all have just the one person and the time and self-promotional qualities to meet someone. So I don't believe that is true, right? I was also told people are too selfish to want to help someone else. 
as society, we're too narcissistic to, to care about somebody else. And I'm like, this is horrific news. Right? If this is the world, the world we're in. And I agree when I'd seen previous dating companies, there had been some that had kind of tried to do my idea, um, which was, you know, have someone create a profile for you, but they were really bulky and they were really tiresome and they took a lot of work. Right? And my thing was, of course, no, no one's going to sign up and pay money for sign up their friend. But what if I could guarantee that you could be on within 30 seconds looking at profiles saying, would this be a great mark? Would this be a great match for Mark? How does that feel? I'm like, yeah, I would use that. Right. So for me, it was about going out to as many different focus groups as I could get. New York is predominantly fabulous at meetups everybody is in new york doing something people are open more so open than the brits um in that you know they talk to strangers it's not weird whereas if in the uk you do that it's a bit like people are a bit scared um so for me it was the right place to to get all these groups together and to just really find out how people were dating get them to use the product to see what they felt like um and it was a double-edged sword right because there isn't anything like wingman that i could just copy there's so many different copies from Tinder now that have come out since then where people replicate it. They know it works. Um, and so it was definitely a bit more of a kind of my end vision. I met with so many different developers who were pretty grim, who made me feel really dumb and just, oh, you can't do this and you can't. It's like, no, no, I know you can't. It's not, not you can't and you can do anything, right? It might not be the way that you believe it should be, but you can do it. It's like a lazy builder or someone wants to do something that's just easy for them. And so it took me a long while to find a team. And when I found the team, by that point, I kind of was pretty sure on how it would look um, and feel and was kind of confident enough to sign up to a big check to say, right, let's get it built, right? Because I know this is going to work. Was that company in New York, the tech company? Yeah. And, and, and when people are thinking now, if somebody's sitting at home at the kitchen table saying, I've got a great idea, I'm going to build on that. And let's say they do everything that you do. How much money do they need to go and build an app that works? So before you get to any of the promotion and all the stuff that you need to do, just building the product, what would so you say to somebody they need? I would say... You, it depends what country you go to. You can go to Eastern Europe and India and you can get an app built for five grand. My high standards in interior design background of luxury items was like, oh no, I want the best person to be doing this. And you're not gonna get change of a hundred grand. That is the difference. My thing was because I am building something and I wanna put it in someone's hand for them to have the visual of what it looks like, I want them to, to feel it when you walk into a dining room and you're like wow look at this room that's what I wanted so it wasn't the case of I could just have it done cheaply and see how it went and so for me it was just I was all in I was like screw it all in um and that when I look back it was a mistake in a sense right I the developers never ended up being as great as I thought they were. I believed everything they said to me because I didn't have that tech knowledge of being able to, to question stuff. And I'd been part of many house builds before, but, uh, you know, working with architects and 
I'd never laid a brick. So I kind of felt like this would be the same, but it was completely different. I would, I had searched for a tech founder that could have helped me and I never found one. I did go out looking for someone that would be able to kind of come on that journey with me, but I didn't find anyone. I would say in hindsight, I should absolutely have had someone that knew what they were talking about, right? So when they were saying, we suggest that you build this app on, you know, on this platform, it's because what they knew and they were comfortable using, but really it was completely the wrong platform on which to build it on, right? I should have used this one. Um, but when you're six months in, it's too late to kind of figure it out. So there were definitely times of stress and just like, what have I done? Right? You know, why did I do this? Kind of, they built this product that was, again, I trusted, I gave more, more importance to them in a sense. So I came and was like, I've got this idea and, you know, I'm the creative and you can help me execute it. And they want, and they would put their mark on it. And what we end, what ended up happening was we just created spaghetti, right? It was just a jumble of this, a jumble. Of, this is what this one thinks and that one thinks. And in the end, I created a product that was much more complicated than I wanted it to be. Um, I listened to advice that wasn't always correct. And I, you know, I'm definitely not the smartest person in the room on any shape or form, but I think there's common sense that you have. And when it got to a point of thinking, this is just spaghetti, like it's a restart, right? Like there's, and so that was really awful. Uh, that was an awful time because it was just that, wow, what a waste, right? Of all of this stuff to work with people that just were not, they weren't up to the job, right? And so um, my vision didn't match. So I think in hindsight, I would definitely search harder for a tech founder right? And find someone that could pick up the bits that you don't know about. And what did you, so what do you do then? You, you built this app or you're building set, you're spending a lot of money. Um, you obviously now need to go and find somebody different. Yeah. And yeah. You do that, but, and, and just sort of to, to again, get things in people's head. When you spent your hundred thousand, you have your app, is that the end of what you have to spend on tech? Oh no, you're starting again. And so yeah, that- every, so your app now is, you know, well developed in the market. Are you still spend yeah. money on tech? Of course. So you monthly, never stop spending. There's never money. a, and, and that's what, you know, that was my insight when I first was like, this is the amount I know I can commit to, to this. Um, and, and that's it, right? I just felt like you'd build an app like a house and it would sit there and be finished. Yes, you'll have to pay a heating bill, but the work is done. No, no, no. Every time Apple updates something, you need, you know, it has to be updated. There are 12 different models of iPhone. There are hundreds of different models of Android phone. Everything needs a constant, a constant update, even to keep it the same. So for me, when people were saying, when I looked back now, something like a Tinder is much easier to build. All you rely on is one person. I went that step where I'm like, no, no, I want as many people. I want some people have 20 friends on their profile with them. Therefore, you have 20 different scenarios that could happen and you have to account for each and every one of them. So looking back, I was definitely naive in the sense of I've spent the money and it's fine. And again, without doing it, would I would I have learned it? 
no, right? It's it's kind of lived through it, lived through the stressful times of doing it wrong, um, and then getting to a point where I know what I don't want. So going back to my point of finding out what I liked or what I was good at by trying stuff and realizing, you know, KPMG wasn't for me. I also knew everything that I wanted to avoid in the next scenario I went into. And I was much um, stricter and fussier and nervous about, about going back into it. But also what had, what had happened was that even though the app was not as good as I wanted it to be, from all the testing we'd done and from all of the, the experiences we had, all the signs were kind of ticking green, right? Like this works, this works, people use this, people do this, people do that. So it was never the final finish polish, um, but it still told me a lot about who the user was, how they were using it. So even though it kills me to say it was a waste of time, and I feel a bit cheesy saying, oh, but you know, you learned a lesson because I also think, oh God, why couldn't someone have just told me it would have been much easier. I think going through it was probably part of that process. So we've got to that point now where you've invested your own money, you've built the app, people are using it. You can see how it can be better, but you're kind of confident. So how do you then build a business? Because what you've got to do is you've got to recruit all these people to use it. You've got to advertise. Um, you've then got to have salespeople. You've got to think about how you make a revenue. So I'm assuming you needed to go and get some money to do that. So how did that all work? I kind of was on my own thinking again, like you, well, you'll just put it in someone's hand and it will go viral. I would just go viral. One person will use it and we'll put it, open it in a college like Tinder did and it will just go viral. It doesn't work like that. Again, like the naivety of that, of believing stuff that you read, of believing stuff that you see is true. Right? Everything has a tweak of a story. Um, and so for me, it was again, a huge lesson right? in that, oh, it's not that easy. Oh, I just assumed because I loved it, everybody would love it, but actually people don't have time or it's not the right time. So it was very important from a human perspective about how, when you used it, how you got the message out there. It wasn't a traditional dating app that flashes up when you are on your profile saying, are you, you desperate and single or do you want to end up alone? Right. And people are, oh, God, no, let me download this because you're kind of scaring them into it. Um, and so I met someone completely randomly. A friend introduced me to someone and said, you should meet. They're, they're really fun. You should say hello. And I sat and spoke to them um, and we were just discussing what I was doing and what they were doing. And he said, oh, you know, I'm an investor. I was like, oh, no, I didn't. Um, and he said, well, you know. I would invest in this if you did X, Y, and Z and, you know, had the terms. And I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. Fine, right? Because I didn't know really what was ahead of me. Right? I was like, this is what it's going to take to get it to the next stage. So we can do the PR articles, we can do the big billboards, we can do advertising, we can see how people will interact with it. And so... I started working with him. He had some great people and it was a bit of a leap of faith. I just liked him and he felt the same way with, it was, you know, it was just one of those, yeah, oh, we kind of can get that. And, and so trusting your gut was probably important for me to kind of get me on that next step um, because everybody thinks their idea is the best and that it's a billion dollar app. 
And I actually met a guy called George Berkowski who wrote um, a book called How to Build a Billion Dollar App. When I was telling him all this stuff that I knew and whatever else and all the research, he's like, that's all lies. You know, that's lies, right? I'm like, no, I didn't, right? And so it was that awareness going in with a very open view about being very open. Like just because something has been done this way doesn't mean it can't be done that way. You don't need to reinvent the wheel, but look for different ways to do it. And so for me, for all the all the misfortune I had with the initial development team and all of the wasted time there, I feel like there were peaks in my journey where I was really lucky, right? So the timing was key. But I would also say with that, I showed up. So even when someone said, come meet these people, I'd probably met 30 people before this particular person. And I would just chat and have a cup of tea and off I would go. So I feel like you have to keep showing up to be like, yeah, you just never know what's going to happen. No expectations. Um, and so for me, I had a stroke of luck there. Um, and then my next stroke of luck was I did one article. Um, a friend of mine had introduced me to someone at Mashable. And they said, um, this is now three, four years ago. And I met with this reporter and we had a, a couple of drinks. And the next day she released a piece in Mashable that was about the dating app. And I was completely blown away by the reaction. It was like, yeah, we're going to do a beta test and we're going to open it up and we're going to start doing parties and, and having people come along. And we were featured in like 300 PR articles within that 24 hours, right? It was the next day it was on every morning show. It was, I was watching TV in New York and someone was talking about, you know, after the break, we're going to talk to talk about this new app called wingman. And I, swear to god i thought it was somebody else's app i thought oh no someone's beat me to it what are the chances of launching an app on the same day as somebody else like how is this my luck and then they came back and they were like tina wilson created this app and i was like oh my god it's me and so i was screaming um and just and it was from that point it was that a bit of luck but it was also because the story resonated with the reporter right she'd used dating apps for her because I told the story and she connected with it, it made it, it wasn't a hard piece to tell, right? And most people that picked it up felt the same. And so it kind of reinstated that thing of everybody knows someone that does that, right? The tens of thousands of, of downloads and visits that we had just on that day, kind of it just cemented what I thought I knew. Um, and so that was, yeah, there's been some unlucky points, but I also feel like there's definitely been a couple of lucky points where I'm like oh and so what's next Tina I mean you've obviously done amazingly well you've got huge traction now uh fastest growing uh matching dating app um so what what's next for us I mean getting back to meeting people would be lovely during the pandemic we had never expected it to surge quite like it did for the singles, obviously, they wanted to, to be online and online dating was up 300% just across the board. But for us, it was even busier because there were so many people coming on who had the time to do it now um, and make time for helping someone and being kinder, which I think the pandemic has hopefully brought out in a few of us. Um, and so we had originally opened up in London just last year. And so all of our plans were cancelled. Um, but so as the world gets back to normal, you're going to start seeing adverts and events happening. But we are also going to be opening 
looking to launch in India um, and Australia later this year and kind of go with those social nuances and stuff and continue to grow. I think for me, one thing that has been proven is like Wingman is a different way to date, but it's also a more a kinder trusted way to date than some of these other ones. And so for me to eradicate bad dating would be an excellent, an excellent thing to do. Well, it sounds like an amazing ambition, an amazing ambition. And, <laughs> and to finish, just a couple of quick questions. Is there a piece of music that you listen to that when you listen to it makes you feel happy? Earth, Wind and Fire. I grew up watching Sex in the City. And so for me, all of their soundtrack is very Earth, Wind and Fire. And they're all very um, like upbeat music. So when I hear that, it kind of reminds me of New York and these girls who are go-getters and stuff. Not anything too cool, I'm afraid. On Workle, we have the, the, the happy at work test. And I just want to end with this question. What makes you feel happiest when you're at work? Achievement, making a difference, getting something done, no matter how small a cog in the wheel, knowing that you kind of made that happen. Um, it's achieving something, whether that is cleaning a skirting board or getting your app into the charts, whatever that is, it's the same kind of sense of satisfaction. And my dog who I've recently got. I love him and I want to take him to the office. So Tina, um, you have been hugely successful. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. We wish you every success with Wingman going forward. Um, it's an amazing story uh, that you tell about having the idea and then building the app and, and now enjoying huge success. And we wish you continued success. Thank you. Thanks ever so much. Thank you for listening. For more on this podcast, head to workall.co where you can find out how you can get happier at work.